0: Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 will be our text for this morning, specifically starting in verse 8. Revelation chapter 2, and I'll be in verse 8 in just a few moments. Abdul tensed as he heard the angry voices nearing his home in Central Asia. Suddenly, a group of young Muslims crashed through his door and began threatening him. If you don't renounce Christ, you'll regret it, they shouted. Abdul refused. He said, I might be kicked out of the village. I could be beaten, but Jesus went through it all just for me. If my Lord faced persecution, who am I not to expect the same? Helen was arrested for sharing her faith in her home, country. She spent almost three years in prison, much of the time in a metal shipping container. Because she would not deny her faith or stop sharing her faith, she was beaten so severely she could not even walk. After her release, she wrote in her journal, Sometimes I couldn't even believe this was my life. These four metal walls, all of us corralled like cattle, the pain, the hunger, the fear, all because of my belief in God, who is risen, who charges me to share my faith with these who you do, who do not, not yet know Him. A God who is forbidden to worship for, forbidden for me to worship. I think back to all the questions I had been asked over months and months in prison, and one that came through over and over again is this: "Is your faith worth this, Helen?" And as the guards would ask me that over and over again, my response would be, "Yes." In 2015. A church house leader in Bangladesh was thrown from his bike as he rode home from church one day by a homemade bomb. His attackers pounced on him and brutally stabbed him to death. Today, two years later, his wife and sons continue to share the gospel through fears of death. For millions of Christians around the world, these stories reflect an everyday reality. They live with constant threats of persecution for their faith, the threat of intimidation, isolation, beatings, imprisonment, and even death. And yet they choose to follow God anyway. It's sometimes very hard for us as American Christians to realize the extent of persecution that is going on in this world. Every Sunday we gather, we drive to our place of worship, we walk in publicly proclaiming that we're here to worship God. Yet for millions of Christians around the world, this right here is a dream. When they worship, they come together in secret, in small numbers to avoid the spying eyes of hateful neighbors or of a government that wants anything they can do to close them down. In fact, it was not that long ago in China that 25 members of an underground church were arrested by the government. Their crime, they came together just like this to worship God. These are stories that honestly our media does not tell us about. But these are stories that happen all the time. The American church tends to be too wrapped up in its own concerns and the politics of our country to recognize the plight of brothers and six sisters around the world. While we're quick to cry persecution when the government forces a business run by Christians to do something that they do not want to do, or if the church is threatened to lose its tax-exempt status, but we don't even know what true persecution is. Fox News estimates that currently 200 million Christians face persecution today just because of their faith in God. It is estimated that between 2005 and 2015, 900,000 Christians were martyred. Almost a million Christians were martyred in a 10-year span because of their faith. It is said that more Christians are martyred today or persecuted today for their faith than at any time in the history of the world. See, we like to think back in history and think about times of great martyrdom and think about times of great persecution and think, oh, it's so good that we've gone beyond that. Yet the reality is, as I just said, there are more people being persecuted for their faith today than at any time in history. It is estimated that every month, 214 churches are destroyed because of their gospel message. Every month. It is estimated that 75% of the world's population, think about this for a moment, 75% of the world's population live in countries where there is serious religious restrictions. The U.S. Department of State has identified 60% Different countries where Christians face persecutions from their neighbors or their government simply because they believe in Christ. For example, in Iran, ethnic Persians are, def- are by definition Muslim. To be an ethnic Persian who is also a Christian is a crime punishable by death. In Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia is the home of the world's oldest church. Yet today, public Christian worship in Saudi Arabia is forbidden and punished by death. In Nigeria, five churches are attacked and destroyed every single week. And yet, these brothers and sisters continue to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, counting it and deeming it worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. Revelation chapter 2. As you know, many of you know, the beginning of Revelation is is, um, the words of Christ written to seven churches. And in these seven churches, they're given um, encouragement in some cases. They're given rebuke in some cases. One of these seven churches is is seen in Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. Follow along as I read and it says and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll help us as we look into this passage as we begin to understand the plight of so many believers in our world, I pray that you help us first and foremost, Lord, to prepare for tribulation, to prepare for suffering. Lord, I pray you help us also to pray for those who face persecution today, or to not be so comfortable in our environment that we forget what they're facing every day. Lord, we thank you for what you have done, and I just pray that you will give me strength as I preach. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. I want to look at the topic of persecution this morning. I know that you're already thinking, man, this is a heavy topic, and it is, but I think it's a topic that we need to dwell on. We need to see what Scripture has to say about that. And so first of all, we want to look at the idea of the expectation of persecution, one of the most difficult things for us as Americans in, in church today is to grasp the fact that persecution is going on against the church in, in great intensity. And I believe one of the reasons it's so easy for us, uh, or so difficult for us, excuse me, to understand this is because of the freedoms we enjoy as Americans. And we should be, continue to be grateful for the freedoms we have. I don't believe these freedoms will last forever. Whether that's in my lifetime or my son's lifetime or or his son's lifetime, there will come a time when we as believers here in this country will also face some form of physical persecution. Scripture is very clear about persecution. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Scripture is very clear that as we live for God, and remember uh, here, Paul was writing to Timothy in a time when Timothy was facing persecution. And they feared for their lives because of the Roman rule. And and, and, and Scripture is clear throughout that there will come a time that we will face persecution. But he goes on and he tells us, uh, we see in Scripture in 1 Peter, it says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will Himself. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. the The expectation is that we will face persecution, but the expectation is also that that God will restore us, will strengthen us, because persecution will never destroy a church. But the reality is, persecution will strengthen a church. The saints become more powerful, and the hypocrites flee because of the presence of pain. But God will strengthen. We see that clear that the expectation is there. But secondly, I want to look at the church under persecution. And and specifically, we're going to look at here at Romans chapter 2. Here we see this church in Smyrna. Smyrna was was one of the churches that uh, was under the harshest condition of persecution at this time when it was written in Asia Minor. And well, as I said, this book was written to seven churches and these seven churches, many of them, that, as God wrote, and we've looked at some of these over the, the last few years, God wrote they, uh Jesus Christ rebuked them, but we actually see there was two churches of these seven that received no rebuke and the church at Smyrna is one of them, the other one was Philadelphia and, and in them God is, is not revealing any faults. So who is, what is this church and what is the city that they live in? First of all, the, si- the church and its city. Look again, if you will, at chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, the angel to the church in Smyrna. Where was Smyrna? I don't know if you can see this. It's kind of small up there, but maybe you can see it. These are the seven churches of Asia Minor, the seven churches that, that uh, John wrote to in, uh, in this book here. And you can see them in Smyrna's about um, in the middle. Um, a little bit above Ephesus, it actually was about thirty. It is about thirty to thirty five miles from ephesus it 's situated on a great harbor. Uh, it was uh, very very well protected in fact, they had built this system where if anyone came in, they could protect their harbor and no one could get in it 's a very beautiful city. You go online today. Uh, it's not called Smyrna anymore, I can't remember the name of it, but there's, it's a beautiful city and a gorgeous harbor. and uh, It was uh, a city that was built by Alexander the Great, and so there was heavy Grecian influences, and that was his desire. Um, it's a city that um, was, the main products at that time were myrrh and wine. And that was heavy things that they produced and that they sold. As I said, it was a beautiful city, it was known as the Glory of Asia, there were it was filled with uh multiple temples, beautiful temples to various gods, Grecian gods and Roman gods. It's also a very it was a very cultural city. Uh it was the birthplace of Homer, the poet. Um there was a large library there, uh which was not very common in that day in, in cities like this, but it was here and uh with many volumes of books. It was also an area that was known for its athletics. There was a large stadium, a famous stadium there that hosted Grecian games, hosted the Gladiators. It was a well-to-do city. It was a city that was looked at very well, and so understand that as we get into the study here of this particular city, and we see here not only the church and its city, but christ the messenger it tells us in this passage look if you will it says these are the words sent by who look what it says the words of the first and the last the alpha and the omega that's that's jesus christ and then notice what it says who died and came to life it's interesting and it's not something that should get lost on us and it was definitely something that did not get lost on the people of smyrna They were facing persecution, and many of them had lost loved ones, and many of them feared death. And so the fact is, Jesus identifies himself in such a way that would have resounded with the church at Smyrna when he says to them, I am the one who died and came back to life. In other words, what he's saying to this people is, there's no reason to fear death, because I've taken care of that, and the Lord is drawing them back to the cross, and 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 revealing to them and reminding them of the most intense pain and suffering that anyone has ever experienced. And that is when Jesus Christ was placed on the cross and suffered for you and I. I believe the Lord wanted the believers at Smyrna to know that He had experienced and suffered death and they should take encouragement because the Lord had already conquered death, hell, and the grave. And so what is this message that he has for them? There's three parts that we can look at. First of all, he he commends them. He commends them and he says to them in verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty. He reminds them, but you are rich. Even though you're poor, you are rich in your faith. We see that other places in Scripture. And he says, I know your tribulation, your poverty, and the slander of those. The Lord praises them he praises them almost completely for their persecution as i said smyrna was a great city and and as a great city it was devoted to to worship because that's what they did and 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 one of the things it was specifically devoted to and this is interesting because it's not in rome but it was part of the roman empire and smyrna at this time was known as being devoted to the worship of caesar and so a common greeting as you would walk through the streets of Smyrna, as you would walk and talk, you, would, uh, you, know, you walk today and you pass someone and you say, hello, how are you doing? You greet them in some way like that. What they would have done is they would have walked around and they would have said, Caesar is Lord. and The Christians there would reply, Jesus is Lord. And because of that, they would be persecuted for it. Because it was so loyal to Rome. They had built a temple and worshiped Rome, and specifically, they worshiped uh, the goddess of Rome, Dia Roma. And they worshiped the city of Rome. And at the time when John is writing to uh, this, the Caesar at this time was a bloodthirsty tyrant who desired to kill every Christian. And so they were experiencing a tremendous amount of crushing. And so Jesus is commending them for that. Now, where did this source of crushing come? We see in the text there three ways. First of all, it says in the passage, he says tribulation. That word literally means pressure. And it was a very vivid understanding because one of the common, uh, one of, one of the common ways that, they, that Christians would be persecuted at that time was they would take a, a heavy rock and they would place it on the Christian until it slowly crushed them to their death. The idea of this word comes from, uh, f- actually comes from, uh, from farming and comes from when they would thresh the grain. What they would do is they would take a cart and they would take the wheels off the cart and instead they would put these large rollers and on these rollers they would put sharp stones and iron and other things and, and as they would roll it over the grain, it would separate the husk from the grain and it was a common thing and that cart that they used was called a tribulum where we get the word tribulation. And the idea was as they put as you put pressure on the grain it would separate. And what great affliction came to these individuals and what Jesus is saying is I know you're under great pressure. Sometimes physical, sometimes emotional. But stay strong. The second thing we notice is that they were under Uh, It says, he says, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty. That poverty was as a result of their faith. That word means, uh, literally means destitution. It has the idea of a person who has nothing that they can claim as their own. And because of their stand for the Lord, many of these people had lost their jobs. They had lost their businesses. They had lost their social status. They had lost everything. They were looked down on by society as a bunch of misfits and outlaws. In fact, even in that, at that time, many of these Christians became prey to robbers and vandals and thieves because the robbers and vandals and thieves knew that the Romans would not protect them and they would let them do whatever they wanted to the Christian. And these people, they so hated the Christians. They hated them because they wouldn't worship Caesar. They hated them because they viewed them as As atheists against God because they wouldn't worship the goddesses and gods of the Roman and Greeks. They hated them. And these men and women were under great distress, and it cost them something to follow Jesus. I think sometimes we need that. In our modern era, in our Christian churches, it costs us so little. Follow Christ. For them, it costs them so much. He goes on and he says that he commends them because of their tribulation, because of the poverty, and then he says something interesting and because of the slander. What had happened was Jewish unbelievers were, were, were trying to infiltrate and trying to do anything they could to possibly destroy the reputation of these, of these Jewish believers. And they hated these Christians and so they would spread lies and gossip and slander and innuendos to try to destroy them in the eyes of others. And the Lord paints quite a horrible picture of these individuals by calling them part of the synagogue of Satan. What an an oxymoron there. Here's a place that was recognized as a church, and and God says it became literally a living zone for a bunch of demons. And He says, You're enduring this slander. He tells them, I have now, He then gives them a command. We see next in verse 10, notice He says, Do not fear. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Do not fear what's about to take place. As with other churches, the Lord uh, gave them direction and, and they were commanded to do something. And He tells them, fear none of these things. You do have prison in your future. Trials and tribulations are on their way. But they were commanded in the face of all that, do not fear why? Because God knows uh, what your future is, and God has a perfect plan, and God knows that there's a limit. I love what it says next. He says in that passage, Do not fear. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And then notice what he says, And for 10 days you will have persecution. And I believe that this is a reminder from God hey, tribulation is going to come, but it's not going to last forever. There's a limit to it. There were. Some who might say, this is awful advice, this is trite advice to give to someone. Just grit your teeth and hope for the best. This is not the way that you should view it, but what you should view it is in this, is that what these believers were told by Jesus is this, they needed to have their confidence in their Lord, that they knew that they could face whatever came their way, and not to fear what was coming their way because God knew the outcome. Even though Satan would send some to prison and, and he says, fear not and be faithful. We know from Scripture that, that Satan is a, is a powerful foe. We see in the book of Job when, when uh, God allowed Satan to cause problems for Job and God allowed him even to hurt him. The passage that, that we read as a, congregational, a congregation earlier says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is a, is a horrible foe and we need to understand that we're in a spiritual war zone and, and Satan is trying to bring us down. And I think sometimes as believers, because of the comfortableness of our, of our nation, because of the comfortableness of our environment, we forget that we're in a battle. And he says to them here in this passage, oh, Satan may come against you, but don't fear. Don't fear. Because the Lord sets a limit on their trouble. He says something interesting here. He says it'll only last 10 days. Most Bible scholars believe that this 10 days is not an actual 10 days. And there are some different explanations of possibly what this means, and different scholars explain it different ways. Some believe that maybe it's a reference to the ten different attempts by ten different Roman Caesars to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth. If you study the history of of Rome, there was was different Caesars, but there were specifically ten that when they came to power, their purpose and their goal was to wipe out every Christian that he could. Others believe that, that, other Bible scholars believe that this ten days was, was uh, a, a, re- a reference to the persecution under the current Caesar that lasted ten years, and so each day represented a year. The last one, and the one I kind of lean towards, is that these ten days represent an und- indetermined amount of time, an undetermined amount of time, and no one really knows the time frame, but the point is, is that there will be a time when this tribulation will end. So either way, God tells them, hey, be strong and do not fear. And then the Lord gives them a little bit of counsel. look, if you will, as we continue. He says at the end of verse 10, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Isn't that an interesting bit of counsel? (laughs) Be faithful till death. Some knew that because of their faith, death would come sooner rather than later. See, being faithful is always rewarded in the Bible. Being faithful here is going to be rewarded. It tells us in that passage uh, it will be rewarded with the crown of life. But throughout the Bible, other crowns are given to those who are, who are faithful. And In 1 Peter chapter 5, there is the crown of glory, which is given to a faithful pastor for faithfully teaching the Word. In 2 Timothy, there is the crown of righteousness, which is given for living a godly life faithfully. In James, there is the crown of life, which is given to those who are faithful in testing and tribulation and trials. As a child of God, we should understand that suffering will come and trials will come and what God asks of you and what God counseled these individuals to do is stay faithful no matter what. Because for a saint who suffers, tribulation leads to triumph and out of persecution comes a reward. And so the Lord says to them, stay faithful until the end. I like what what God, what Jesus slips in here at the end, and I think if we're not careful, we kind of miss it. Notice, if you will, again, it says in verse 11, He that has the ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a, a, a phrase that's seen with the, uh, the, the other churches as well. And then he says, The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What is, what is being said there? Well, the first death is, is the physical death that separates our body from our soul. And for those in Smyrna, that, that physical death was one that would come as a result of, of a beating or, or of the, as we talked about, the, the, the pressure of the rock being put on them or, or many a number of ways. Some of them would live longer, but, but he's saying here, you, some of you will die that first death because of your faith. But what he's saying is, is those who conquer, In other words, those who live faithfully and those who serve me because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they will never be hindered by the second death. What is the second death? The second death is the separation of the soul and the spirit from the presence of God. The Bible refers to later in Revelation as as the lake of fire being the second death. I think what Jesus is telling them here is, listen, Some of you may face death, but if you do it because of your faith in God, you won't face the ultimate death. The church of Smyrna remained faithful to God. We see in history that persecution did continue. In fact, it continued for quite some time. It's estimated that this region went through persecution for a, a couple hundred years. In fact, 60 years later, after this, uh, approximately after this was written, there was a man, a Christian by the name of Polycarp, who died for his faith. He was well known, well known uh, Bible teacher and and he was taken, and he was placed in the public square. It's quite a testimony. You can you can find it and read about it. And he was taken, and he was placed on and and tied to a stake, and he was burned. What was interesting was the fires did not kill him. So his uh, his persecutors came in and they stabbed him until he died. And Smyrna remained faithful. Last thing I want to look at in just the next few moments. You may be saying, well. What does this all have to do with me? What are lessons that we can learn from this persecuted church and that we can learn and and understand as we look at the persecuted church today? Because the church, the experience, (coughs) excuse me, the experience that the church of Smyrna was facing is something that churches face all over our world today. They're facing affliction and persecution, they're losing their jobs, their homes, their businesses, they're being ridiculed, they're being mocked. They're being arrested, they're being beaten, they're being tortured, and some are losing their lives. And this should propel us into action. So what should we do? Four things as we close. First of all, we need to prepare for persecution. I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to be persecuted next Sunday for our faith. I'm saying that it will come. And what I'm saying is this, is we need to prepare because I believe there are many Christians, if they were faced with with some of the things that others are faced with around the world, will you deny Christ? Or will you continue to be persecuted? I believe many, their faith is not strong enough. And they'll give in. It's interesting, I, I read about a Christian... Uh, in China, he led a church in China, and he was because of his faith he was he was arrested and he was thrown in prison. He spent 23 years in prison, and here's what he said about the American church. He said, "I was pushed into a into a cell, but you have to push yourself into one. You have no time to know God." You need to build yourself a cell so that you can do for yourself what persecution did for me. It simplified my life and it caused me and forced me to know God better. I don't think we should pray for persecution. But I think we should pray that we will know God better. That we should pray that we will know God in such a way that when, if and when persecution comes, we will be ready. See, guys, I think what happens is because of our life, we get so distracted by the world around us. We get so distracted by, by other things that, that don't have the importance of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a result, we don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And our brothers and sisters who face persecution around the world, they are forced to focus in on what matters most. Secondly, educate yourself. I encourage you as Christians to to educate yourself about Christians who are, are facing persecution around the world. There's many ways you can do this. If you came in this morning, you may have noticed, those of you in the balcony, you didn't. You come in your own way. We never see you. It's good to see you up there. Encourage you sometime to come down and join the rest of us. But if you came in the lower level, you will see there's a display um, that, I, that we put up. Um, and on that display, there's a number of items that you can grab uh, to help uh, understand persecution better. First of all, there's this book. I have a limited number of these, so the first ones that get there and get them. You're welcome to take it. Uh, it's called Tortured for Christ. Uh, it's the story of Richard Wurmbrand. Uh, the video that we saw was about his life. Uh, excellent book. Um, they're actually in the process. Uh, the, the video that you saw is, is, um, is excerpts from a movie that the, that is being made about his life. Um, but this is a book that I, I challenge you to read. Uh, maybe you want to read it and pass it on to someone else in the church. You're welcome to do that. Uh, excellent about his story. That's a, one good way to do that. Another thing that you can do is uh, there's an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs puts out a magazine, um, and uh, that a, a periodical that comes out and, and tells you about stories about individuals around the world who are facing persecution. As you go through, sometimes uh, it, they'll give you their name, sometimes they won't. Um, and one of the, the things about this one is in the middle there's a map you can look at this map, and this map shows you the countries that face the most persecution today, uh, and, you can, and you can understand more about them. You can also uh, take this video, the video that we watched today. I think there's a few copies back there. You can grab one, and uh, if you want to watch it again or show it to other individuals uh, to see about persecution. But I encourage you to do that. The second, uh, there's another um, organization called Open Door. Um, actually, the, the slides that I'm using today were produced by Open Door. Open Door also helps educate about, about Christians around the world that are facing persecution. They have on their website a list of the top 50 nations in the world. In other words, the worst 50 nations in the world that, um, for persecution. Uh, this may not shock any of you, but number one on the list is North Korea. You can be in prayer. Um, it's, it's estimated there, there are probably 200,000 Christians in North Korea. That even if they said they were Christians publicly, could be killed. What you may not realize is most of the f- top 50 are over uh, on the other side of the world, but there are there is one that is our neighbor. Mexico is is number 41 on list of persecuted nations. You can go on and you can read about people in different parts of the world and and understand them. I encourage you to do that. Read their information. Learn the extent of persecution so that, number one, you will never be the same. But number two, you will pray. I challenge you to do that. Listed these two places you can go. Voice of the Martyr and Open Door. You can go to their websites. Number three, you can give. How can you give? You can give money to organizations that help those in need. Both of those organizations, there's ways that you can give, and the money that they get goes towards helping persecuted Christians throughout the world. Sometimes, as I said, because of their belief in Christ, they can't even get uh, food. They face problems. Sometimes they're homeless, and so through these organizations, we can help supply them. You can give time. You can go on to the website, specifically Voice of the Martyr. You can go on to their website and you can find names of Christians around the world and you can actually write them letters. Christians who are persecuted and some are in jail can receive letters and it will give you information on how to do that and encourage you. uh, Maybe that's something that you want to do. And So give and then finally Pray. We read this verse earlier, but praying at all times in in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications to that end. Keeping alert with all uh, perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. We have a responsibility to pray for those who are facing persecution. Back on the table, there's a couple things you can grab to remind you to pray. There's these uh, prayer cards here. Um, and what it is is just cards you can put in a book, you can put on your fridge in some way, and it lists ten ways that you can pray for persecuted Christians. Another thing that you can do is you can grab a, a bracelet. Maybe this is something you do, and on it it says, imprisoned with them. You can wear it. I've actually have been wearing one for a week, and every time what I do is every time I see it, I stop and I pray. God, be With them. We have a responsibility to pray. I challenge you as Christians not to lose sight of what's going on around the world. In closing, what I want to do is play another short video. And this is um, about Christians today. This is not about Christians 50, 60 years ago. This is about Christians today. And as you watch this video, think about um, what if this was you? And as we close, uh, we'll show this video and then Pastor Nate will come up and we'll have an invitation and then we'll follow that with a brief uh, business meeting.